Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Notice, ongoing routine sin in our life cannot be a part of our lifestyle. It doesn't do any good if we sit here and we just had a great time of worship and we just are excited, but then the next day at work, we're kind of back into whatever. The pagan gods are there. We're kind of driven by money again and the old four Ps, the power and possessions and pride and prestige get in and, and we forget why we were here. When you make a decision to give your life to the Lord, it's such a transforming event that it feels like you're always going to be overwhelmed with devotion to Him. But putting faith into practice isn't easy when problems and spiritual warfare continue to come. As we'll see today, the people of Judah continue to make progress in their commitment to God, giving generously to Him and getting rid of anything that would be offensive to the Lord. Little by little, as you reject your old ways, you'll mature spiritually because of that obedience. Give generously of yourself in service to Him, and He will be faithful to you. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 30, verse 25, for part one of our message entitled, Plenty to Spare. Hezekiah has come to the throne, and he's kind of changed the whole thing. They got rid of many of the areas that were pagan. They cleaned up the tabernacle, got ready, and exciting things took place. Worship began. Remember, they went through and celebrated the Passover, and they had a seven-day celebration, and it was so good, they took another seven days in the cabaret. And he had a great time. And uh, just look back at uh, chapter 30, verse 25 and 26, kind of remind you, and that'll give you a little, little feel for how we're going into where we are tonight. The entire assembly of Judah rejoice, along with the priests and the Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the aliens, those that were Gentiles, who had come from Israel and those who lived in Judah. And there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. So they're on a, on a very, very emotional high, spiritually as well as just everyday things. Chapter 31. When all this had ended, you might want to underline that, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah And they smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asheroth poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. In other words, those pagan altars. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. You see, that's the real proof of a revival. What you saw here, it, it doesn't do any good that they had just finished 14 days of great music and worship 
even being together in unity, if that lifestyle, that work that God had done in her heart, isn't taken to the streets. This is what happened. Notice, ongoing routine sin in our life cannot be a part of our lifestyle. It doesn't do any good if we sit here and we just had a great time of worship and we just are excited, but then the next day at work, we're kind of back into whatever. The pagan gods are there. We're kind of driven by money again and the old four Ps, the power and possessions and pride and prestige get in and, and we forget why we were here. So these people, after 14 days, they went throughout the country and they did practical. They destroyed the pagan things. Then they went home. That's a very positive thing for all of us. Turn with me, just keep your finger there quickly to 1 John chapter 3. True repentance will show itself in a lifestyle that is ongoing. And that's so important in our lives. And it needs to be more than an emotional kind of decision when they accept the Lord. It's an ongoing decision. It's very important. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. There are people that from time to time might counsel and or they'll write me on the email or whatever, and the question is basically this. You know, I came to the Lord whenever, but I'm kind of living my own style, lifestyle, doing my own thing, and I came to the Lord way back then, and everything's all right with my life, isn't it? Well, when they go in and give me a little detail of what's happening, no, everything is not all right with their life. First John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So no real Christian will practice sin and then say to you or myself, well, it's okay, I love the Lord make an excuse for it. What that verse really means, as you understand, it means no one makes a lifestyle of habitual sin. Now, keep your finger right there and just turn back a couple chapters, 1 John 1, 8. You say, well, what do you mean a lifestyle of sin? Well, let's differentiate it tonight. Does a person who comes to the Lord that has a full-on walk with God totally changed in their life. Do they sin? I'm waiting for those of you that say, no, I'd never sin. <laughs> well, sure they sin. Well, what does 1 John 1, 8 say? What does it say? If we say what? If we say we're out sin, we what? Deceive ourselves. So how do, you, how do you differentiate between that verse and the verse we just read in 1 John chapter 3? Well, the key is the word habitual. If it's an ongoing sin, we all have occasional sin in our life. But if it's just a, it's turned into a lifestyle, and you will meet these individuals, and they'll say to you, for sure, I'm fine with God. And you look at their life, and they're definitely not fine with God. They're either backslidden, or they've never really had a relationship with God. So we can't sit here tonight and say, well, I never sin because realistically we do. We do sin. Now we do sin. And the reason the next verse is there in 1 John 1, 9 is why? 
because we're not deceiving ourselves. And the next verse says, if I confess my, this is written to Christians, if I confess my sins, God's what? He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So it's not a lifestyle. So we have to be very careful. And there's a lot of people today that want to claim they're walking with God. But their lifestyle definitely does not show it. And that's a dangerous place to be. So really what you want to find happen in your life is this. When we sin, what I look for in a mature Christian is this. When, when a mature Christian sins, I think there's three things that happen. They're, number one, quick to repent. Number two, we humbly repent. Because we're back to realizing, if it isn't for God's power, we're really cooked meat here. We're in trouble. And number three, we get on with life. You see, Romans 8, 1 says there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we do sin. You sin. I sin. The mature Christian, when he sins, when she sins, is quick to repent. That means I don't make excuses for it. When you're doing your daily journaling, when the Lord points out to you yesterday and points out an area and puts those two spotlights on it, and we go, well, nothing, that's not a mature believer. We said it got okay, and then we humbly, and then we get on with life. So you don't mully grub, man, I'm a sinner, I sinned yesterday, God's going to take me to heaven, whatever. There's that, there's that wonderful balance between the Arminianism and the Calvinism, as you know. And in between there is truth. You can't have a lifestyle of sinning and expect definitely to go to heaven. But also, you don't need to be at the altar confessing and dying every day because you've sinned. We do sin. So confess it, move on with it. Now, a real conversion involves real ongoing change. So that's what was happening in these lives. They went throughout their towns, their cities. They made a huge change, and then they went home. Back to Chronicles 31, verse 2. Now, Hezekiah assigned the priests and the Levites to divisions each of them according to their duties as a priest or Levites, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks, to sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. Notice again, there's that need for organization. The priests, the Levites, had assigned duty. It's not legalism. To make things operate properly, you have to have that organization. Verse 3, the king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings, and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbath, new moons, An appointed feast is written in the law of the Lord. He ordered, this is an interesting verse, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and the Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So in other words, in those days, the priests and the Levites were to be taken care of financially by the the people who were working. This was their way of doing as you see there in verse 4, so they could devote themselves to take care of the things that God had assigned them to. Notice how they give in verse 5. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave from the bottom. (laughs) Off the... Off the top, the cream of the crop, the first fruits of their grain, of their new wine, of their oil and honey, and all that the fields produce. They brought a great amount, a tithe of whatever they decided of everything. So there wasn't an issue. It was just an understanding. 
Again, there's that first fruits again. Those first fruits belong to the Lord. Verse 6. Now the men of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of the herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. Now keep your finger right there and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Why were they doing this? What was the what was the principle of these first fruits? Well, we saw that they were going to take care of the the Levites and the priests so that those people could do the things that God had assigned them to do. Well, we don't really have Levites and priests today. So how do we carry this over to the New Testament? What is supposed to be happening in our lives here today? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go down to verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? By the way, verse 9 now is, if you want to write by it, is Deuteronomy 25.4. This is what Paul is speaking about. He knew the Old Testament. For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Then Paul says this, Is it about oxen that God is concerned? No. Warren Wiersbe has a great statement. He says this, Since oxen cannot read, this was not written for them. (laughs) So what is the principle? The principle is for those that are pastors and teachers on staff of a fellowship of a church or whatever, they're to be ministered to by the people that they're ministering to. Now look at verse 10. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Paul speaking, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Down to verse 13. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So the Old Testament and the New Testament principles are exactly the same. In all You see here in 1 Corinthians, although Paul is going to make an exception of himself at this particular time, he's not going to receive for them because later he'd said, basically, I don't want any of you saying that I came just to be remunerated and get money back. I'm going to put it on hold for right now. As many of us did when we started this church. You know, this church, when it was started, I worked the first three and a half, four years, a full-time job while we ministered and didn't take any salary. And many of the other people did all that time. Well, we were trying to, number one, save some money so that we could do what you see we're doing. And two, to teach the people that we'd be more than happy to do a regular job as God ministers to us. Realistically, after the first few months... I could have come on full-time and had a salary. But God just chose 
to use me a different way. Now, I don't do that to highlight myself because all of you still do that. But there came a time when some of us needed to quit our other jobs to come on staff. And that's what we've done. So what you see there is just financial guidelines for a congregation to provide for the people, our administrative people, our accounting people, uh, people that are cleaning this place for you. Isn't it nice to come and have the grounds cut and the place clean and the windows done and the potties all taken? I mean, it's nice. Well, those people, as you grow, you can't do it with volunteers only. We have hundreds of volunteers yet, but there's some things you just have to do differently, and that's what we've done. Now, knowing with that, it just means that God's church needs the support of God's people. You guys are doing that, doing it wonderfully. When I was uh, out west recently, I heard of a pastor to show you how it can get so skewed. He, in his, and I don't know how he really does this, but evidently they have offering envelopes that have on them ties or offerings. You must check it. And in this denomination, it's a small denomination, let's hope it stays a small denomination, all the ties go to the senior pastor. All the offerings go for everything else. Now, do you think that's right? I mean, I don't know what Bible he's reading, but that's ridiculous. So if I knew all the ties you were checking came to me, could it affect the way I teach? Well, sure it could. Absolutely. So, I mean, it isn't even godly. And so, to me, I mean, it's ludicrous. He's tying his salary to more people, more money. Hey, come on to church. What's the reason? I want more money. God hates that. So this is what I'm talking about. So, as you guys do give, and you know here when you do, that as you do give, there is a financial committee and a whole department that holds these finances in a tight area with prudence, and safety, and all of those things are done right. So we honor the Lord because it's really what? His church. And we're just providing for Him. And see, people say, well, the Old Testament doesn't kind of match with the New Testament. Hello. I came across this and I went, wow. Here we are. So, verse, back to Chronicles verse 8. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed His people Israel. Well, what happened? When Hezekiah said to the people, you give, they generously gave. So much so that the grain and all, it just was in huge heaps. It was just, it showed generosity. You know, I want to thank you. When we teach, many of you hadn't under, even heard the things in the last few weeks. It was new to you. You'll begin to give. God will bless you. This is what happened. Hezekiah was so excited when he saw those. Verse 9. So Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps. I love it. And Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord, notice, has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. Any spiritual revival in a church or in an individual will always affect our giving. We will be generous people. It must affect that area because that's the area that Satan wants to attack. Remember, we talked about the shovel, you remember? So what Hezekiah is saying while the priests are there is just this. As he's saying to the people, 
the reason you see these heaps is because God has gen- been generous to these people. So when they give a 10% off of that, it's because God has been generous. And again, that will happen in your life as it happens in mine. Remember, give and it will be given back to us. That's the, the whole key that we tried to tell you over the last couple of weeks. Now, verse 11. Now, Hezekiah, I like this, gave orders to prepare storerooms in the temple of the Lord. And this was done. The people gave so much... They had to rearrange some of the storerooms and they had to get them ready to hold all the things that the people gave. You know, when I read this, I thought this is exactly what's happening here. Because the word is taught here and God's honoring his church, we're having more and more and more people come. Because more and more people come, they're giving, and we're having to build new storehouses. And it's not about holding grain. It's about holding people. So as we're generous to God and you're obeying God, that's not a problem because we're handling it right. We've had it right. God's going to continue to bless. Aren't you glad God has blessed us? We never hype. We just present it. People give. It's about people. It's about people. It's about people. Verse 12. Then they faithfully brought in the contributions. Let me just say one word about that. For those of you that have started giving, the proof in your pudding will be around January, February. Because you've been giving, you haven't ever done it before. Until it becomes a habit, the enemy will come against you. Now, I'll never know that. You know that. But I just want to remind you, it's a habit that you need to get into in your life, faithfully to the Lord. So they brought faithfully the contributions, tithes, and dedicated gifts and Conaniah, Levi, was in charge of these things with his brother Shimei, Shimei, was next in rank. And then in verse 13, there's all the boys. You can read them yourself. Um, down in verse 14, Korah, son of Imna, the Levite, keeper of the East Gate, was in charge of the free will offerings. So there again, the same principles we've been trying to teach you. Given to God, distributing the contributions made to the Lord and also those consecrated gifts. And you see these guys in the next town. Now notice what happens in verse 15. They have all these supervisors that were needed to oversee the finances. In fact, 10 supervisors there. Making sure that things were done in quality and control. And we have that same kind of safeguards and things here. The gifts were there. They were doing it where they were given in excellence. They needed to be distributed in excellence. So these people were ministering the same way. Verse 16. In addition, they distributed to the males three years old or more, whose names were in the gene- genealogy records, all who would enter the temple of the Lord to perform the daily duties of their various tasks, according to the responsibilities and their divisions. And they distributed to the priests enrolled by their families, in the genealogical records, and likewise to the Levites, 20 years old or more, according to their responsibilities and their divisions. They included all the little ones, the wives, the sons, and the daughters, the whole community listed in these genealogical records, for they were faithful in consecrating themselves. As for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who lived on the farmlands around the towns and in any other towns, Men were designated by name to distribute portions to every male among them and to all who were recorded in the genealogies of the Levites. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, the people of Judah went throughout the land and destroyed all the altars and high places. As we saw, the people offered sacrifices and first fruits to the Lord. 
They had been led back to serving God by Hezekiah's faithfulness. But now they were tithing and offering on their own. They were blessed with an overabundance, all because of their faithfulness to the true God. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m., and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll see how true conversions result in real change and serving the Lord because you want to, not because you have to. There are specific strengths that Hezekiah showed in his relationship with the Lord, and his example serves to teach us as well. His continued faithfulness takes Judah in a direction that the nation had not been for many years. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.